You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We are continuing on in this series called Genesis Foundations for an Unsteady World, and so we've looked at story of creation. We've talked last week actually about Noah before the flood. If you were here, you understand what I just said there. And then today we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham. And one of the things that I just want to kind of preface is this, as we're reading the story, it's a long, uh, the story of Abraham is rather lengthy, so we're just going to go to the call of where Abraham is at, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 8. Let's everybody stand for the reading of the word, and I'm going to ask that you read along with me, and let's begin in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah to his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we look at the Word of God that it would touch our minds because you said to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we pray that. Address our thoughts and concepts that maybe we hold that aren't in conformity with your Word. Show us what we need to, to acquire, to learn, to grow, to develop. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're looking at the story, one of the things that I've said about every message, I'll try to give you what I call some factoids or interesting things about the book of Genesis so that the next time you read it, you can appreciate what you're reading and have a better understanding and, a better, and better clarity about what, what's unfolding in front of you as you're reading the, the, the book of Genesis. And sometimes what I share will be related to the uh, passage that I'm preaching. Sometimes it won't. But today, I'm going to be addressing some things that are relevant to the story so that you can appreciate a little bit more about the book of Genesis. So, here are a couple insights. First of all, Abram lived around 2100 B.C. He lived to be 175 years old. So, we're about uh, 4100 years now from when Abraham uh, had this call of God on his life. A little insight, Job which is the book of Job, lived around the same time as Abraham. 
Job lived to be 200 years old. And we can make some parallels here because Abraham's father, Terah, he lived to be 205 years old. So we know that Job was in that vicinity and he was in that region. We don't know that he exactly overlapped with Abraham's life, but we know that there was some overlap in that what we call estimated time period. It's just that Job never got mentioned in the book of Genesis. So he lived in the book of Genesis, but he didn't get mentioned in the book of Genesis. So a little bit of insight there. And here's, a, here's another thing that you might find of interest. So Job was attacked by the Chaldeans. It says that three raiding parties came and uh, took his flocks and killed uh, some of his servants. And that's when that period of, of plagues began to happen in Job's life. It was the, uh, the Chaldeans were responsible for many of the travesties in Job's life. Ironically, Abraham, his father Terah, they were the ones living among the Chaldeans. It's an interesting story. God always has his people in almost every camp. And in this particular case, you have Abraham and his father Terah living among the Chaldeans, and it's the Chaldeans who are victimizing Job. But yet, we probably, I'll just say this, we probably have a good idea of why God told Abraham to leave the Chaldeans. These are not good people. They are affecting godly people. And uh, this is not where you want to raise your family. You don't want to raise your family to be Chaldeans. They're a bunch of raiders. And they take people's lives and they steal and they kill. So God says, hey, this is a great time to start a new nation. I would probably agree with God's assessments. Okay? So a little bit of insight that even though we don't get the overlap directly, we can see through that timeline. So here's the thing. Why am I preaching on Abraham? Most of the times, Abraham is referenced in a sermon. Rarely do you hear an exclusive message on Abraham. So let me set it up this way. I wish I knew when I was, uh, what, I, what I know today, I wish I would have known as a teenager and as a young adult. The reason I wish I knew this was it would have changed my perception of how I saw the potential of life in front of me. I would have totally I, I mean, I'm still, I think I would still have been in the ministry as I am today, but my outlook would have been changed much more earlier, and I would have had a better understanding of what God wanted out of my life. Because the only time I heard Abraham referenced, and I'm not knocking those who, who taught me as a young man, I'm not knocking it, but the only time I ever heard Abraham referenced was when they were referring to the nation of Israel. And, you know, they would always come back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You know, God will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so that's why the United States, and they would always go into the prophetic. This is why the United States government has adopted the policy. That we want to be favorable to Israel, and we as Christians need to support Israel. And I'm, I'm not saying that those are wrong, but as I delved into these passages, I'm like, man, we're leaving a lot on the table and not talking about. There's so much here. And so here's a couple things that I want to just show why it's important for us today to have a great understanding. Notice I said not a good, I said a great understanding of Abraham. First of all, Abraham is mentioned 76 times in the New Testament. Some people avoid uh, the story of Abraham. They go, look, you know, 4,100 years ago, 
and there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of God's activity that's gone under the... I mean, we kind of need to stay with what's relevant to who, to who we are today. If I was, a, they would say, if I was a Jew, I would be interested in this because he's the father of our nation. But since I'm not Jewish, I'm not, you know, okay, I'm aware of who he is, but I don't know why I really need to have this magnificent understanding of who he is. Well, he's mentioned 76 times in the New Testament. The other thing is this. Abraham was in Jesus' genealogy, so if you want to know about Jesus, you have to understand that you're doing a little bit of study of Abraham. And the other part is Jesus referenced Abraham in his teachings. So we're kind of, okay, if, we're going to, if, you, if you're one of those who say, well, we didn't, what's the New Testament say? G, uh, Abraham was a go-to guy for Jesus. It was a go-to guy for John the Baptist. And it was a go-to guy for the apostles. You, the, he is spread out in all the teachings. So again, we have to come to this, so what do I need to know about Abraham, and how does it affect me here in 2021? What has Abraham got to do with me as a follower of Jesus? It just so happens I have some scriptures for you today. How crazy is that? I'm actually talking about something, and I have some answers for you. So... There are so many passages. When, when Abraham is mentioned 76 times, I could pretty much just make that the sermon, read all 76 references. Can't do that, don't have time. So how about if I just grab some that just kind of sur- uh, summarize it, okay? We're going to go to the book of Galatians. This is critical so that as I preach Genesis 12, you have a better understanding. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 6. This is what the Apostle Paul is writing. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Let me just pause there. How many of you have faith? Okay, that means I got some work to do today. <laughs> now listen, so you're a child of Abraham. Now I know immediately you go, I'm not Jewish. Oh, that's not what that says. It says, if you have faith, and he's talking about faith in Christ, you're a what? You're a child of who? Everybody, everybody knows, well, I'm a child of God. Yes, I know that. That's true. If you've accepted Christ, yes, you're a child of God. But this says you're also a child of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you catch that? How many of you rely on faith? Then you are blessed like Abraham. Can you start to see how this ought to change your whole outlook in life? Some people say, I wonder what God's will is. Well, actually, you can do this now. You go, go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There's the basic script right there for God's will for your life. You go on down into verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole. Now listen, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? We say, why do you need to accept Jesus? Well, because I need to accept him as my Lord and Savior, because without him, I'm, I'm, I'm condemned to eternal uh, f- uh, fire. I'm, I'm condemned to hell, but if I accept Christ, I receive. So I need to accept Jesus so that my eternity is secure, so that I know where I'm heading. And, and that's all true. 
But when was the last time anybody ever also said, you need to accept Jesus because he's got a lot of promises for you, beginning with the life of Abraham that he intends for your life, but can only be realized if you accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you will accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not only will he, listen, yes, you will inherit the kingdom of God, you will go to heaven, but do you also understand you need to accept Jesus as well because now the promises of Abraham belong to you. Isn't that what that says? He redeemed us in order that the blessing giving to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Uh, how many of you are of a non-Jewish background? Let me see your hand. Hello, all you Gentiles. <laughs> Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead so that not only that we would have eternity, but also could be the children, the recipients of the blessing and the promises to Abraham. I mean, that already starts to change your outlook a little bit. So I said, I, I wish I would have known this as a young man. I would have looked at the potentialities of life radically different if I would have known this type of, de of divine destiny. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, many, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Verses 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's usually where we stop. We go, hallelujah, amen. All the ground around the cross is level. Nobody stands any taller or any less because of nationality, gender, whatever. But look at the last part. If you belong to Christ, let's all read this, okay? Read it. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see now why it would be wise to know and understand the promises given to Abraham? Wow. I always thought that was, and I don't mean this disrespectful. I'm just saying in my brain, I always thought that referred to them, the Jewish people. That, that, that's them. I need to hurry up and get to the New Testament so I know where I'm at. But the New Testament says... Those promises given to Abraham, if I've accepted Christ, they apply to me. Oh man, I want to know about Abraham. What? You know, it's kind of like you have the side of the family that you didn't know existed, and they're not the type of the family that you run from. You're like, I had, I, you know, it's kind of like a, I had no idea that I really nobody ever, never, nobody ever told me about that side of the family and they're awesome why didn't somebody why didn't somebody tell me why didn't I know this I mean this is great I mean you that's a whole network of people that I'm related to that could have swung some doors open for me why didn't I know that so that's why we're going to look so there's there's a number of verses and I was ready to preach all of them and then I realized I had actually written out an entire series on Abraham so I'm just going to hold it to three verses today, and you're going to see it's going to be very difficult just to get through those. This, this is rich, 
for what God has intended for our lives. So number one, everybody read it out loud. The promise of national influence. I know just saying that feels kind of awkward, but look what he said to, to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. He did not say, I will make you a good one. He didn't say, I would make you average. He said, I will make you great. Why does he say that to Abraham? Because God recognizes there are a lot of things that we can do as an individual. But there are some things of a magnitude that require a united people called a nation in order to address. There are some things in this world that one person can't do. But a united group of people can. If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. And then if you start following that pattern of multiplication, you understand there's a lot of things that are possible that can happen as a united people. And so God is basically saying this. There are international issues that, Abraham, you can't solve. But if you become a great nation, you, your people, that heritage, they can solve those problems. They'll have the authority, the resources, and the influence. Hey, this is not new. In fact, a lot of times we're just rediscovering things that have been lost in our memory or lost in our teachings. So there's really nothing new here. So most of us know how Israel played out into 12 tribes. And there was a tribe called Levi. They were the tribe of priests. What if I told you that was God's compromise? Because initially he didn't want a tribe. He wanted a nation. Look at this. This is Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. This is right before Moses comes off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Okay, Exodus 20. Moses shows up with all the, you know, that's where all the Ten Commandments are listed. So as they're around this mountain waiting for Moses, this is what, this is what God says. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, by the way, you'll notice that everything requires us to be obedient first. These are not things that happen as long as I claim the title. Because our world is full of people who just wear the title but don't show the behavior. I'm sure we've all run into people that they said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then you experienced a ser serious disconnect from what they were doing, saying, and you went, hmm, okay, so, yeah, you're a label wearer. <laughs> Okay, so he's, you'll see every one of these is based on obedience. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you see what the original intent for Israel was? They weren't to have a tribe of priests, they were to be a nation of them. But that made, them nurse, that made them nervous. And so God broke them up in the tribes, and he had one tribe called the Levites, but it was God's intent for them. By the way, God never cancels his intents. He regroups it and comes right back at mankind with it. Because why? Because God's word is eternal. God said, all right, you threw me a curveball, but I can hit that one too. Because you come to the, uh, you come to the book of Peter, and what he says to the followers of Christ is this. You are a priesthood. You are a holy nation. He's telling every one of us, 
is a voice and a beacon for who he is. So God didn't change his intent. He just said, we can regroup this, but I am not changing what I said I'm going to do. And so now it says as followers of Christ that we're a priesthood and that we're a holy nation. Remember the veil was torn in two, giving us all access. Well, who were the only people that could go in? Priests. Well, we know that Christ went in, but I'm saying, but the other part is he gave us access. Through the blood of Christ, we have access into the holies of holies, which makes us all a priest. Or you couldn't go in. I thought that was really good. I want you to see God's intent has not shifted. He's only opened the door and said, we'll just bring more people in on this. But you are still called. The second thing that he says in this is, is this, when, or uh, can you, look, one last thing. Deuteronomy chapter 26, still in the first point. Verses 18 through 19. Notice this is now well beyond the Exodus. Look what he says to the people still much later. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, a treasured possession. Have we seen that word before, treasured possession? All right. As he promised, and that you are to keep all of his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he's promised. There are words there that I'm sure that bother you because it says that he will set you in praise, fame, honor, high above all the nations. Some of you were probably going, sounds like Pastor Greg may be preaching a new nationalism. Sounds like he might be dipping his toes into the prosperity gospel. Those are your preconceived ideas. All I did was read scripture. I did not switch translations because this was more palatable. I'm just staying with the translation that I always preach from. Now what you see here is this. God says if you're going to have international influence, then I have to make you have international fame. I have to let your name be known. I have to give you national influence. And I want you to see something here. If God wants us to influence things in this world, then he's going to have to give us the resources to do that. So that means this. We all have to be open to places and positions and ideas and things that God may want to tap us to step in to do. When you have said, no, I ain't getting involved in that. And God says, and that's why darkness reigns there, because you won't step in there. And so because you don't shine your light, Nobody shines, and so now darkness reigns. And then you all have a prayer meeting about the reigning of darkness in your community. Well, why don't you step up and take a spot? Oh, don't worry. That was just a precursor to what's coming. <laughs> Number two, read it out loud. The promise of personal blessing. He says, I will bless you. Now, immediately it would be easy for us to run our brains going, God's going to make me wealthy. No, that's not. He may, but what I want you to understand is, is why would he do that? See, we always think that every time God does something for us, he, he just wants to improve the square footage of our home. He wants to improve the quality of the car that I drive. He wants, he wants me to get another piece of property. We, we always assume an increase is about us. And that, you know, an increase is God nodding that I should up the standard of my living. But you look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says, keep this book of the law 
always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. You will be prosperous and successful. Again, I know there's folks who are probably getting nervous going, man, I'm telling you, he's bumping right up against that prosperity gospel teaching. Here it comes, I'm telling you. And here, listen, here's the summary of this. How are you supposed to bless other people if you haven't been blessed? I can't give if I haven't received. So it all comes down to this. I want to lead a blessed life, not because I need more stuff. I want to lead a blessed life because then it enables me to be more of a blessing. Now, if my mentality is off, then I think it's all for me. But if my mind is set right and I understand, you know, at some point you have to go, I got enough, I got enough. I think there's a threshold where somebody reaches and goes, you know what, I don't need any more. So if, it, if anything that comes beyond this point, the mentality shouldn't be, I'm going to tithe on it, I'm going to, look, I don't need any of it, I'm just going to give it all. Because I don't need any more. I'm receiving more than I need to do my life and my family life. So I'm not going to be tithing on it. I'm just going to give it all because I don't need any more. If you haven't discovered by now, all the stuff that you think you own, it owns you. You just think you own it. Let it break. And it screams at you, fix me, fix me, fix me. And you have in your brain, how much is that going to cost me? You just think you own your house. Did you see your new property tax bill? Yeah? You know what you found out? You own the house, but you don't own the land. Come on, it's all right to say amen. I'm not taking shots at anybody. I'm just saying. But if you, if you think you own that, no, 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 it owns you. Don't pay the bill and see what happens to your house and land. You'll find out you didn't own it. You own the house, you rent the land. They just call it a tax. If you own so much, eventually is this, you can own so much stuff that it owns you and you have no time left over because it all owns you. See, when we buy something, there's this obligation to keep it fixed, keep it nice, and to use it. Well, that requires time, effort, resource, my mental power. And the more stuff I have in my life, then the more mentality I have to have of repair and fix and maintain and use it to justify all this effort, which means, you know, eventually your whole schedule is dominated by the stuff that you own. Don't tell me you're in charge of your life. That stuff's in charge of your life. Stuff makes a horrible God. So it's this understanding, why is God blessing me? Why is God prospering me? Because he said, if you're going to bless, then I have to bless you. But you have to have an understanding of why I'm blessing you and not make it all about you. I'll tell you what, can we just uh, have a come to meeting with Jesus moment right now? Everybody turn to the, your person on your left and right and just go, it's not all about you. I love this. Now, I got to tell you what I just saw. I saw people going, it's not all about you. And they put their arm around and they're consoling them. <laughs> I'm sorry I broke your heart. I'm sorry I said that. I, did. I just, pastor made me say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
The promise of blessing. Number three, read it out loud. The promise of a the promise of a blessed name. He said, I will make your name great. Now it's easy again to go, wow, God's going to make me famous. No, when he says he's going to make your name great, it means this. If you go to Proverbs, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. God says, I will make people speak well of you. When you're not in the room, they'll have good things to say about you. They'll go, they're the real deal. That's a person you can count on. They told you what? Yeah, you can count on it. I know for a fact that that person, their word is their bond. If they said they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And by the way, they'll probably do it better than you're expecting. He's, what, what the word is telling us is this. God will bless you. And if you handle it right, he says, I will give you good. And here's what you discover. A good name always opens up more doors. A good name always opens. If you're in the business world, you understand the power of having a good name associated with your business. You know that that can open doors to customers, right? You just know that. A good name is important to be able to do good business. And God says, you bless other people, I'll give you a good name. I'll help you. People will speak well. Even on the social media, they'll have nice things to say. It just won't all be negative. Again, man, I wish I'd have known this as a young man. God says, if you do this right, I'll bless you beyond your ability. But you have to have an understanding of what this is about. That this can't happen if your mindset is off. Your mindset's off, God says, I can't send this stuff your way. You know why? Because it will ruin you. Because you think it's all for you. And it's not. That doesn't mean we don't use it to put a roof over our head. It doesn't mean we don't use it for transportation. It's not to say that God doesn't help us to meet our needs. But I think you, many of you understand, most of the time it never crosses our mind that when God blesses us exceedingly and abundantly that he's not giving a nod to a new standard of living. He might just be saying, you're doing so well with what you have. I now want you to help people get where you've gotten. I'm going to give you more, but I want you to use it to help people who used to be where you are. Bless them. Help them. Number four, read it out loud. The promise of, the promise of blessing others. He said, and you will be a blessing. So it's really, you can see the domino effect here. He says, I want to give you influence. In order to give you influence, I'm going to have to bless you. I'm also going to have to give you a good name. And now because you have influence, resources, and a good name, you're now in a position where you can have some impact on somebody's life. Many of you may or may not know, but the blessing that I do at the end of every service, that actually is, I wrote that, it comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 28, in the first 13 verses. You'll hear a lot of familiar phrases, in fact, I'm going to, and so what I'm doing is, is I'm just basically pronouncing God's word over you. It's there. I've just changed some of the language to make it flow better for the purposes of what we do at the end of the service. But it's all based on, on Deuteronomy 28. And so the promise of blessing others, look what he, look what he wrote in 20, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verses 12 through 13. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. How many know I say that? In the, okay. See, that's good. That tells me you listen. Okay. 
to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You know how many times I say the work of your hands? Okay. You will lend, look, you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. Some of you are shocked to even know that that's a Bible verse. I don't know about you, I definitely want to be the head, not the tail. (laughs) And if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow, look at this, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Now I know some people are, that sounds like prosperity, I just read the Bible. What do you want me to do, start erasing scripture? But God says, listen. If you're going to bless others, I have to give you influence. And with that is going to have to come resource. But you have to understand what it's for. And God says, if you manage it well, I'll give you more to manage. I'll give you influence that you've never thought you could ever have. I'll make you the head, not the tail. You won't be borrowing. You, do you know how much resource you have to come into today and not have to go to a bank to borrow for anything? And God says, if you manage it well, I'll get you there. You won't, be, you won't be the borrower. I'll make you the lender. God says, I'll put you at the top. But see, you have to prove that God can trust you. That's a progressive growing and maturing and discipleship process. That's not like, well, start me there, Jesus, and let me show you what I'm made of. And Jesus says, no, you need to show me what you're made of and let that journey take you there. But he says, the promise of blessing others. God says, I want to use you. I have destined that you change other people's lives. I want to bless you because that's what you need to make it happen. Show me you can be trusted. Everybody said amen. Amen. Number five, read it out loud. The promise of divine favor. He says in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you. God says if people do good to you as you are trying to obey and do what's right, if you're doing what's right and people bless you so that you can continue to do right and they aren't obstacles, God said, just because they blessed you, I'll bless them. If you're doing what's right and doing it the way I want and you're blessing and you run into an obstacle and somebody steps in and helps you and gets rid of that obstacle, so you, God says not only will I bless you, I'll bless that other person. Let me give you a scriptural example of this. It's all the way in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And let me just set it up before I read it. This is about this centurion called uh, Cornelius. And he's over the Italian regiment. Yeah, it's all in the Bible. We're going to read it here. And everybody knows the, the, uh, the Roman army is an occupying force. They're making everybody's life miserable. It never dawned on anybody's mind that there was such a thing as a Christian Roman soldier and certainly not anybody who's in authority because if they were a follower of Christ if they were if they loved God they'd get out of our land and here's a story of a centurion the Italian regiment which was an elite group okay at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing Trust me, that was a contentious point. That's impossible. He can't be God-fearing, not doing what he's doing. He can't be. Look at this. 
He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. What? We didn't even know they knew who God was, much less they would even bother to pray. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? I love this. He knew who he was talking to. Do you see that? He didn't start off, who are you? What did he say? What is it, Lord? He, he knew exactly who was standing in front of him. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And the, and the story goes on to tell how he was told to reach Peter and have Peter come to the house. My point being was this, God blessed him because of who he was blessing. And he was a Roman soldier. And God said, because you bless, I'm going to bless you. I know what your armies have done, but Cornelius, you're trying to be different. And you pray, and you help people. Hey, he was doing more than some of the Jewish people were themselves. And God says, because you bless, I'll bless you. And it says later that his whole household was saved. Listen to me. God has ways of winning people over to him that you and I have never dreamed of. Just go on the journey and enjoy the ride. Everybody said amen. amen. Number six, read it out loud. The promise, of, the promise of divine justice. He says, and whoever curses you, I will curse. God says if, they, if you're trying to do what's right and you, listen now, if you are obeying, if you're disobedient, don't expect God to bail you out on that. But if you are walking in obedience and there become obstacles to doing what is right, God says, I will step in. Look at what, I say this in the blessing in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you in one direction, but flee from you in what? Seven. God says, if you obey me and they cause a problem for you, God says, I'll step in. They came at you in one direction, but I'm going to send them back going in seven. Wow. Doesn't that just change your perspective of, if I do what's right, God's got my back. He's got my back. It doesn't say that I won't have a conflict. It doesn't say that I won't have some tension in my life. But in the end, in that moment of tension, I can go, God's got my back right now because I'm doing it right and I'm doing it the right way. And I trust God. I don't know how he'll do this, but God's got my back. And he said he would send my enemies back home running in seven directions. Hey, it can be daunting when they unite and they come against you and you're like, God, this is an onslaught. I, they're, they're so much bigger than me. God says, but not if I divide them into seven, they're not. If I divide them into seven, they can't do this. Watch me divide your enemies. But the precursor to that is, I'm walking in obedience and I understand he's not trying to bless me so that I can have more stuff. He's trying to bless me so that I can be his vessel. And it's real simple. God, I am not able to represent you here because of what they are doing. 
please, God, remove the obstacles so that I can express you the way you've asked me to do that. Not, hey, God, get them off my back. Do you realize how much money they're costing me? Oh, you know what God says to that? Well, it was never about you anyway. So suffer the consequences. It's not about your stuff. Listen to me. Jesus didn't die for our stuff. He died for people. And so we say, listen, I'm trying to represent you and I'm trying to live for you, but I have this obstacle. It's shutting me down. God, please clear the table so that I can continue to represent you. And the last one is this. Read it out loud. The promise, the promise of a messianic blessing, he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So let me, it's easy to catch that and, and assume something else, but we have to go back into Galatians, where I read earlier, because the Apostle Paul clears this. He says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So when he is telling us, he is giving us, you, me, the ability to be his messianic messenger. The way we bless other people is with the message that we bring to them. And God has said, he did the work, but he's entrusting that to us to tell. That's why he tells us in the New Testament that we're the salt and we're the light. That's why he tells us in Matthew 28 to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say some things in if you haven't heard anything that I've said up to this point, listen to me really careful about what I'm about to say. Some of you are the messenger for some very difficult arenas in life right now because you have not stepped into the Abrahamic blessing that he has for your life. Good people have the ability to step into some roles in not only the community and the region and the you have the ability to take positions of authority and make other people's lives better because there's people who are using authority as a as a bat to beat people down and God never intended for governmental authorities to use their authority as a bat they were to be used as a tool to serve but why do we have so much of that? Because good people said, I want nothing to do with that. The light left. The only way darkness rules is when light leaves. Know this, that you can be called to some of these offices and positions just as much as a pastor can be called to a church. When I first became pastor, I was very fortunate. The mayor great man was coming to the church godly man took me aside the church the day I got elected my first church was running over a thousand I'd never been a lead pastor in my life and the day I walk in there's over a thousand to say that I was in over my head would be an understatement 
And he graciously took me aside and just began to help me learn systems and how to hold people accountable and make things work. And I remember, I'll tell you a little side note. One of the things he told me one time was this. He said, now, Pastor, there is one big difference between you and me in what we're doing. I said, what's that? He said, when people don't like you, they'll leave the church. He said, when people don't like me, they run against me and write to the editor. So bottom line is this, just don't take it personal, okay? In his next election, he won every precinct. He was a godly man, a great man. And he saw his position as a calling. He said, you know how many lives, people in this city that I can make good? Because I make sure that the authority that's vested in the city is used for good things and not to beat people over the head. We're here to serve people. And he won every precinct. After four, usually after four years, somebody hates you. Right? I believe some of you, God has called. Because the Abrahamic blessing is this. You have to have influence so you can bless. He calls pastors, he calls teachers, he calls missionaries, he calls business people, but he also calls people to serve the public and to rule with a servant's heart and not with tyranny. Darkness wins so much because the light has left the room. I think it's time for the light to get back in the room. And you know what? If you're there to do God's business and do it His way and serve people and help people, He said your enemies might come at you one way, but He'll send them home packing in seven different directions. And everybody said amen.